stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. is Mike Fader on uh, The Turning Point here on PRN.FM every Monday at 4 p.m. And there are podcasts available afterwards. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me, I always remind you, if you want to get in touch with me or join my mailing list or both, uh, any comments about the shows or anything on my um, blog or on my uh, website, go to the website Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, faderfiles.com. And um, you can contact me if you want. And I always welcome that, no matter what. I had a guest on a couple of Mondays ago, uh, former CIA analyst Ray McGovern. And I thought during, he was discussing, we were discussing um, 
CIA and uh, American involvement in uh, current in the Middle East, uh, ancient, modern, right? Um, what's going on right now with Syria especially and uh, how intelligence professionals don't really uh, pay attention to people who are uh, telling them something they don't want to hear, getting us into a lot of trouble. And I thought during the conversation there was maybe a disproportionate blaming of Israel for all the various troubles in the Middle East. And probably I should have called him on it, but I like Ray, and he was my guest. And um, I, But I don't really agree with that, and I wanted to focus on other things in the discussion. So we went ahead, and uh, I didn't really mention how I felt. But um, uh, today I want to focus on um, various aspects of Israel and uh, not just uh, their position or policies in the Middle East, but uh, specifically in relation to something in the United States called the BDS movement, which stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanction. Sanction, And it's located primarily on college and university campuses. And um, essentially they're calling for the world to treat Israel very much the way it once treated South Africa because of apartheid. And obviously it causes a lot of friction, some of it verging on violence sometimes on college campuses, and inevitably uh, brings up charges of anti-Semitism. We have a guest with us today to uh, to help us sort of navigate uh, this whole question. Uh, Ken Walzer. Hi, Ken. Hi. Good morning. Um, let me give people a little bit, uh, an idea of your background. And sure. then, then we'll move on. Okay. Ken Walzer is the uh, current executive director of uh, a place called the Academic Engagement Network, Academic Engagement Network, and he is Professor Emeritus and former director of Jewish Studies at Michigan State University. He's taught about uh, Jews and anti-Semitism for over 40 years. He's a Holocaust historian, and um, Holocaust Remembrance Day is coming up, is it? Um, yes, it is. Yamashoa. Yeah. Uh, he He's a Holocaust historian and has been working on a book and lecturing internationally on the rescue of children and youth at uh, uh, Buchenwald. Post-retirement, Ken is serving as executive director of uh, the Academic Engagement Network. And uh, what they do is organize uh, faculty on American campuses to fight against this BDS movement and to help preserve academic freedom and freedom of expression at the same time, and to stir robust conversation about Israel. Um, there was a piece, in the, an op-ed piece in the New York Times, written by a Brooklyn College professor named Eric Alterman a couple of uh, weeks ago. And I want, uh, is it all right with you? Let me read the first couple of paragraphs, and we can launch into our conversation. Would that be okay? Go ahead. Okay. Sure. And give people an idea of what we're talking about here. <clears throat> this is the um, from the op-ed piece. Um, the title was "Free Speech, Even If It's Obnoxious," uh, an old uh, an old maxim. The casual consumer of campus-related news might be forgiven for assuming that anti-Semitic intimidation is breaking out all over. Where I teach, that's at Brooklyn College of the City University of New York, arguments over a proposed event or a demonstration regarding Israel and Palestine appear every few months and sometimes turn ugly. In 2013, some Jewish students were forced out of a lecture sponsored by Students for Justice in Palestine, and just recently, a few members of the same organization broke up a faculty council meeting with demands that included barring Zionists, that's in quotes, 
from the campus. I'm not sure what people mean by that, and that's part of the discussion we're going to have. Um, in both cases, the culprits were appropriately and unambiguously condemned by Brooklyn College President Karen Gould. And while circumstances vary, controversies over the movement to boycott divestment, uh, divestment from and sanction Israel, or BDS, have taken place recently at Brown, Oberlin, Vassar, and the University of California, among other places. So here we are. Maybe you could um, first tell me uh, a little bit more detail about the Academic Engagement Network when it started out, who you all are, and the goals. Sure. Thank you. <clears throat> the Academic Engagement Network rolled out in early December of uh, last fall, um, and so we're only about four months old. Uh, we have about 250 members on about 100 campuses uh, now, and we're growing significantly. And our purpose is to uh, organize faculty and help support them um, on campuses. There are other groups that work uh, to beat back uh, BDS in the professional associations. There are significant conflicts going on um, in various professional associations, including uh, an upcoming membership vote in the American Association of Anthropologists. Hmm. Um, but we work on campuses. We focus on uh, a readying faculty to fight BDS, uh, to help preserve academic freedom and free speech, uh, and to uh, stir robust conversation about Israel. Uh, we don't want to shut anyone down. Uh, we believe in free speech uh, and open uh, argument. Um, but uh, we do respond uh, to BDS speech with critical counter speech. All right. So um, let me uh, let me hear from you. What is BDS exactly? What are the specifics and the goals? Well, I mean, there's there's a, a kind of uh, perceived uh, BDS uh, that which uh, it relates to what BDS puts forward. Um, uh, openly, and then there's a, a kind of deeper BDS, uh, which is uh, behind the language uh, that it puts forward. Uh, I mean, uh, on its face, um, BDS is a movement that suggests that they derive their uh, legitimacy from the call by Palestinian civil society organizations uh, for boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Now, now boycott, um, uh, now, give me uh, some details about exactly what that would mean. I mean, like in... You know, uh, it, it means uh, something very broad and, and actually broader than the campuses we're talking about. It's uh, an effort to uh, develop the academic and cultural boycott of Israel. Uh, so it means... Uh, uh, boycott of uh, contact with Israeli academic institutions um, uh, by universities, the ending of uh, study abroad programs, uh, the ending of exchange programs with Israeli professors coming to the United States and Americans going to conferences in Israel. It also means the boycott uh, by American cultural figures um, of uh, entertainment and, and performance in, in Israel. Uh, so it's uh, actually a broad movement, and it, it's beyond the campuses. It's, uh, um, BDS is active in the trade unions. It's active in the churches, especially the uh, liberal Protestant churches. Um, uh, and it's active in corporations pushing uh, for uh, divestment from companies that deal with Israel. Um, it's active on a broad front, um, but on campuses is a particular point of concentration for, for BDS. And what about what about and, the sanction uh, part? What, is, what would that be? Uh, that would be uh, actual uh, U.S. government action 
um, to uh, uh, you know prevent uh, uh, military aid from going to Israel or uh, uh, additional forms of aid. We don't hear much about that. Most of the focus has been on boycott and on divestment. Um, uh, lately, uh, uh, boycott motions before the City University of New York graduate students at this moment. Uh, it's before uh, uh, campuses uh, across the country, uh, mm -hmm. University of Michigan-Dearborn, uh, Columbia, uh, University of Chicago, University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Um, this is something that, that occurs uh, on a broad front because the BDS movement um, is allied with student groups, including the Students for Justice in Palestine, um, and they're able to bring these motions and resolutions forward in student governments and in faculty congresses, uh, faculty committees, and, and keep pushing it. Now, you um, said, you said they, there was something um, deeper than that, though. I mean, yeah, um, you know, on its face, BDS comes off as a human rights movement, uh, and, it, and it highlights that it's committed to nonviolence. Um, and it uses the language of uh, 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 liberation, ending occupation, obtaining equal rights, mm -hmm. um, and, and supporting the return of refugees. But um, the, the reality to someone like me is that it's actually an effort to criminalize and delegitimize Israel. Um, no matter whether they win or lose in these battles that they push on the campuses, the, the sum total effect is to... Uh, put Israel before the next generation of leaders coming out of uh, American universities um, as a criminal state, as a pariah state, as a colonial state, as a racist state. Um, and it uses the language of human rights and what they believe is international law, often incorrectly, um, to uh, make Israel, uh, you know, a pariah among the world of nation states. Now, you know. Um, and the ultimate goal, uh, uh, like to finish, Yep. Uh, the ultimate goal is to uh, have the Jewish state, um, the Zionist state, the Zionist entity disappear. Um, they want to disestablish um, Israel. Um, and so you hear the slogan often, uh, especially from students on campus, uh, uh, Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. Hmm. Um, so they're not for a two-state solution. They're not for peace and mutual accommodation. Um, they're not for the progressive position which is critical of the Netanyahu government and also of the PA um, for failing to negotiate and failing to, you know, seek uh, accommodation. Uh, their position is basically that Israel should not exist, um, that it's a criminal enterprise, and it should um, cease to uh, be a part of the Middle East reality. So what, what you're saying is that uh, when they... Uh when they have their campaigns and when they have protests and demonstrations, which are, you know, encouraged at uh, various places, at free speech, and, uh, and in, in the country at large, and I'm thinking back to the 60s when people took over all, you know, also uh, used free speech um, and about the Vietnam War and other things to actually take over, you know, to interrupt meetings was mild, you know, take over faculty offices, occupations, and everything else. But what you're saying is that they use the language that is used by, let's say, civil rights movements or some of these 60s anti-war movements, um, but they're not really stating to the rest of the students or to the faculty, to the world in general, what their ultimate goal is. I mean, how, who, who started this movement? Is there a founder? Is there an organization that initiated it? <clears throat> uh, it's a, that's a beta reality. They claim to have emerged as a grassroots 
kind of response to a call from Palestinian civil society in 2005, but we date their origins back to um, the Durban Conference in South Africa, where uh, it was decided that uh, a kind of anti-apartheid movement against Israel on the model of uh, the anti-apartheid movement that had gone against South Africa 30 years earlier um, should, should be developed. And so the origins are, are, are basically in uh, the world of international NGOs, in the world of uh, uh, Palestinian uh, uh, opposition to, to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it ha- has a long history. Uh, some of it is shrouded. We don't know very much about where the money support comes from. We don't know much about... Um, uh, the the actual origins, um, but uh, they are straightforward and, and above board. They have a website. Um, there's the United States Committee for the Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel, and the members are listed. Um, they include about uh, uh, several hundred uh, faculty on campuses um, mm-hmm. who proudly put forward their position. Um, and they are, have been successful in attracting a, a large number of students um, and a large number of faculty who I would say uh, are taken in by the human rights language and uh, are opposed to the occupation, which is a reasonable position. Right. Um, and, and they think uh, that this is a means, uh, absent other means, to, to get uh, the parties, and particularly Israel, uh, to shape up in, in terms of Middle East negotiations. But certainly um, all... So I'm sorry, certainly all these uh, faculty members who have their names on these lists and a lot of students you're saying really don't understand that their ultimate goal is to uh, erase Israel? I mean, that, otherwise, that's you know, my belief. That, that's, that, that, you know, that there's a leadership who, who has a, a set of goals that are, that are kind of uh, quiet, um, and then there's a, a mass membership that may have many different reasons for belonging. But ultimately, um, uh, the three planks that they push, the third plank is the key one. The first plank is to end, end the occupation of Arab lands. and mm-hmm. It's not the end of occupation of the West Bank or Gaza. The, the language is, is pretty broad in general. End the occupation of Arab lands. The second uh, point is equal rights uh, for Arabs in, 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 in Israel and in the surrounding area. And that's something that any right-thinking person would support. Mm-hmm. But the third point is that uh, uh, there should be recognition of the right of return, um, and the idea is to change Israel demographically, to swamp uh, the current population and uh, turn it into a one-state solution, not a two-state solution, mm-hmm. in which uh, um, uh, Israel would, uh, over time, cease to exist. And that, that we think, is, gives, gives the best idea of what the true motivations are for um, BDS. Now, what pops up a lot um, in, in all these articles and these demonstrations, and certainly on college campuses when there are protests and signs that people carry and things that people shout out, um, they use the word Zionism all the time. And that's a kind of um, very heavy-weighted word for all sorts of reasons, historically and even currently. I mean, to be anti-Zionist, is that the same as being uh, against the policies of Israel towards Palestinians, against the policies of Israel in general, against the existence of Israel. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty deep and wide term, anti-Zionist, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it, it could mean that, or it could uh, mean something else. I mean, it's perfectly legitimate to be against the policies of any 
uh, existing state. Uh, right. States uh, uh, engage in things that are worthy of criticism. Uh, so uh, that's not the problem. The problem is that the, when Zionism is used as a kind of signal word to really mean Jews, um, and there's an intersection or overlap uh, between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. I've just returned from a, uh, an international scholars conference uh, to talk about the relationship, and um, the, the the relationship is complex. There are some people who think anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are synonymous. I, I don't believe that. They come from different uh, 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 origins and different traditions, um, and. Uh, uh, it, it was perfectly possible for the, before the existence of the state of Israel to be anti-Zionist um, and not to be anti-Semitic, because you had a different view of what the answer to the Jewish problem or the Jewish question was in the world. So there were Bundists and socialists and liberals who all had a different answer about how Jews should solve the problem of being a discriminated against pariah minority in the world. Mm -hmm. Once Israel has come to exist, and it's now a uh, functioning and actually fairly successful state in the world, uh, to be anti-Zionist is to uh, um, ask for something that uh, um, no, no other state is targeted uh, as, as, as a, uh, a state to be eliminated. So um, in, in the way in which uh, anti-Zionism calls for the elimination of one state only in the world um, and sees that as a criminal and pariah state and doesn't put it in the same framework as China and Tibet or uh, Russia and Ukraine or all the various other countries that um, are occupying other people uh, uh, against their will and preventing liberation. It, it slides over into the anti-Semitic realm. And when it imports into it the content of traditional anti-Semitism, um, that the Jews or Zios, as, as, as the phrase goes, are all-powerful, that they move nation-states behind the scenes, that there's a group of elders of Zion who make uh, the world go, or that they control the Federal Reserve, or uh, things like that. When, when those kinds of classic tropes um, that we call anti-Semitic mm -hmm. appear in the language of anti-Zionism, um, then we know that uh, the two different phenomena are beginning to, to merge and well, in infect one another. That's something I would certainly agree with you about, but uh, um, and certainly I've, I've had my experiences with this because I worked at a radio station, uh, WBAI in New York, and mm -hmm. um, I was there for a long time uh, um, as an assistant manager, then on the air for 25 years, and... Uh, there grew up a tremendous number of people at uh, you know who eventually took uh, took over the radio station, and there was constant broadcasting. I mean, all the time about uh, the Zionists, and then they would get mixed up with the Jews and the Jews this and the Zionists that, the Israelis and the Jews, and everybody. And it was all equated, and they successfully, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, showed themselves to be completely anti-Semitic. I mean, they crossed the line from opposing. Legitimately, Israel's policies to uh, you know to really not so uh, in not such a coded way being anti-Jewish and uh, people aren't ignorant. A lot of people just uh, stop listening to the station because of that. So I mean, I've had this, and it's personally, I used to get into arguments with people down there. So I've I've seen this. But are you saying that in the um, in the BDS movement that you're hearing interchangeability of Zionists and Jews and uh, 
These, uh, at times, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to overgeneralize. I want to be careful about right. this. I'm actually trying to write about it. Um, but uh, you know, when the language of anti-Semitism creeps into um, the rhetoric of anti-Zionism, when Jews or the Jewish state um, are depicted in, a, in an extraordinarily evil uh, criminal way, um, uh, in the absence of discussion of analogs or other uh, examples uh, that that may share the same properties, um, when it's exaggerated, when it's false, when it's uh, part of a rhetoric uh, shaped by an ideology, I think it does slide over into anti-Semitism. Um, I don't think they're synonymous. I think uh, uh, I, I know anti-Zionists who are principled people, and uh, they may be uh, universalists, and they may, may uh, um, uh, be opposed to all forms of nationalism. Um, but there are other anti-Zionists who, for whom uh, this is the new, updated, modern, new anti-Semitism. Um, updated which, from... Uh, the like Updated, like updated from, from the past, right? Like, um, uh, give us uh, an in example. In the past, yeah. anti-Semitism was racialist. Um, Nazi uh, anti-Semitism uh, presumed about race. Um, this is anti-racist, right? And and it's Israel that is depicted as a racist state, um, and in fact, sometimes compared with the Nazi state. When you start using that kind of language and making those kinds of uh, analyses, uh, which are over the top, they're exaggerated, they're um, without uh, 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 proportion, um, when they begin to include the kind of uh, emphases that Jews control the world or Jews control money or Jews control the media, um, then you know that you're in the in the presence of a kind of updated new anti-Semitism where what was once said about the Jews is now said about the Jewish state. Now, uh, just to be devil's advocate, and, not be, and I, in a lot of ways I feel very strongly about this, the way that Israel has treated the Palestinians historically and, let's say, over the last couple of decades, uh, um, the walls that, you know, the walls that are built, the fact that uh, in Gaza and in Palestine the Jews are in charge, see? I do it myself. <laughs> the Israelis are in charge. <laughs> this is something This is that it happens, you know what I mean? It just gets transferred. That the Israelis are in charge of their taxes, distributing uh, funds from other places that, uh, that belong to the Palestinian government. The, uh, the, the you know, the, uh, the fact that uh, you can't fly in or out of there. The fact that uh, the coast is controlled by uh, the Israelis. The fact of uh, occasional, because of, uh, you know, response to, let's say, rocket attacks by Hamas, uh, invasions almost of, uh, you know, the army, the Israeli army in Gaza and other places. Uh, people have talked about what it's like to live in Gaza, where uh, they have one of the highest rates of depression, suicide, unemployment. Um, and a lot of this has to do, and the poverty, a lot of this has to do with the way that the Israelis have treated the Palestinians and also the fact that the Israelis, um, the Israeli government has uh, encouraged the settlement and the settlers, a lot of them ultra-Orthodox settlers, who uh, want the entire place to be rid of Palestinians and all Arabs. They want what, you know, the opposite, uh, the opposite side wants. They, if the opposite side wants to get rid of Israel entirely and just have an Arab state, a Palestinian state, uh, a lot of the uh, settlers uh, who, as far as I'm concerned, are illegally in the uh, West Bank and supported 
with uh, the by the army. They're armed. They're, they're, the army helps them. The government helps them build. Um, you know, their towns, and uh, they sometimes occupy the best um, land, uh, the best sources of water, um, and, and doesn't really come down too hard on the treatment of these people, uh, of the Palestinians, by the ultra-Orthodox settlers. Um, there's a lot to be said uh, for the despicable treatment, let me use a certain word, despicable treatment by the Israeli government, um, and I'm not sure how much that represents majority of the Israeli populace, but uh, in this awful treatment of the Palestinians, especially the people in Gaza. And I think you mentioned earlier, I mean, it's perfectly reasonable, to say the least, for a principled person, somebody, let's say, who lives in this country who is not used to this kind of treatment of other people, although if we study our own government, there's plenty of that. Uh, so there's reasons to be angry. There's reasons why people would sign petitions or join websites against the Israeli uh, government and the way they uh, behave towards the Palestinians. Sorry, sorry for the speech, but I, it's legitimate. I completely, completely agree. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, the continued occupation, longest uh, ongoing occupation in the contemporary world, it's, you know, approaching 50 years now uh, of, of the West Bank and Gaza, um, is a primary feature um, that underwrites uh, the ability of BDS to develop a constituency. Um, people who are really committed to equal rights and human rights uh, have to be critics uh, of this, and particularly critics of um, the settlement movement and the annexationists who exist um, in and outside the Israeli government. So I have no argument with what you've just said. On the other hand, uh, I, I think it's responsible to try and put things in a context and the context is that Israel has not been acting only unilaterally. It's also been responding to ongoing efforts by um, Palestinians of various political stripes um, to use violence to uh, uh, win their uh, objects. And so the wall exists uh, not simply as a, a, as a wall done unilaterally by Israel, but as a response to a series of suicide bombings and attacks on Israelis uh, in pizza parlors and in hotels uh, um, at Passover and, and, and various other kinds of uh, uh, on buses um, that uh, w w was really uh, hurtful to Israelis and to the Israeli uh, uh, society and, and economy. And so the wall is a defensive measure. It was actually initially uh, proposed by the left in Israel. Um, and uh, its main feature has been to uh, diminish the, the damage of those kinds of suicide attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened in Gaza is also a response to uh, the firing of uh, large numbers of rockets, thankfully uh, badly aimed and uh, low-functioning rockets, but nonetheless rockets across an international border into Israel. Uh, if you're in the towns of southern Israel, like Starot, um, under the constant uh, menace of uh, uh, rockets coming at all times, at, uh, 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 you know, and, and you put pressure on the Israeli government, um, the Israeli government's first priority is to protect its own citizens. Um, so there's a there's a broader context there than simply Israel being uh, or acting criminally or or uh, uh, aggressively, um, mm -hmm. and that has to be factored in as well. Um, uh, there's also a reality in Gaza in that there's a, a, a ruling group there, Hamas, um, which has been using whatever 
comes in for military purposes, not for the uh, benefit of its citizens. And it's used uh, its own uh, health institutions and school institutions to uh, store rockets and to um, carry out uh, what they call uh, the liberation struggle against Israel, which is to eliminate Israel. Um, so, um, uh, the, to, to take cement and instead of building roads or buildings to build underground tunnels to use for military purposes, um, that's part of the context as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a it's a terrible context. It's not one that lends itself uh, um, to the kind of mutual recognition and and negotiation that I think most good people would like uh, to see happen there. Um, uh, and and we, we would hope that the Israeli government um, actually acts um, more actively on behalf of peace than, than the current government does. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I agree that that's part of, part of the, the situation, but the context is broader than the way in which you stated it. Um, and that has to be taken into account as well. Okay. Um, if you just tuned in, we're talking to Ken Waltzer, W-A-L-T-Z-E-R, who is the executive director of the Academic Engagement Network, um, which is an organization, a group, uh, formed fairly recently uh, that is involved in educating and encouraging um, faculty and other groups on campus to uh, understand what the BDS movement is uh, from their point of view and to uh, oppose the BDS movement or at least certainly um, uh, educate people about what they think it is and what it may be, but also to encourage free speech at the same time. Um, what, uh, what groups in the United States, you mentioned one, but what groups in the United States are prominent in the BDS movement? Uh, for instance, uh, Eric Alterman in his article, who's the professor at Brooklyn College, says that a lot of BDX, uh, BDS activity involves um, uh, Jewish students. And uh, maybe you could expand on who the uh, maybe faculty or student organizations are the BDS movement in the United States. Um, yeah, we don't we don't have a full picture. Um, uh, not all the membership is is public, but uh, uh, the faculty include a large number of people of uh, uh, Arab origin, Syrian, Palestinian, and so forth. Uh, so that that would be one group uh, attracted. Uh, to both BDS at the faculty level and to Students for Justice in Palestine at, 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 the, at the student level. Um, and the movement is broad, broader than the organization itself, and so it allies with uh, support groups or uh, uh, coalition groups. And one of the key f- players uh, on campuses and also off, uh, active in the church uh, churches as well, is the Jewish Voice for Peace, JVP. Um, which includes Jews, um, uh, Jews who consider th- themselves progressives, um, uh, aligned with the hard left, and, and who are opposed to uh, Israeli occupation and opposed to uh, a Zionist uh, state existing in the Middle East. Um, and they, they operate, in my view, I'm speaking personally now, as a kind of no- set of notaries um, for the BDS. It's okay... Um, what they're claiming, what they're saying, because we Jews uh, certify it as uh, appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that that role is active on some campuses in areas where Jews are a significant population group, um, mostly large cities. 
Um, and it's also significant, uh, I, I've seen it personally up, up close, um, in the struggle inside the churches. They were very active, for instance, in the uh, recent uh, Presbyterian uh, church, the decision to uh, 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 support uh, uh, boycott and divestment. Um, so um, they, they act as a kind of uh, group uh, who, who proclaim... Um, like the the novelist Howard uh, Jacobson in England wrote about Finklers, uh, who are ashamed Jews. Uh, they they certify by their presence that uh, uh, other people should be ashamed as well. That's that's the way they operate in in the situation. Well, so and sometimes it's very effective. Well, I can understand why it would be. I mean, uh, then people could point at this group and say, look, even Jewish people you know, here in this country feel the same way we do. But are you actually saying that the Jewish Voices for Peace? That organization uh, would like to see the elimination of the state of Israel. You're not saying that. Right? I'd say some of the. I'd say yes, some of them. Um, uh, but again, it's the reality is the same as the BDS movement in general. There, there are levels of membership. There are uh, multiple uh, reasons or intentions connected with uh, participation. And uh, uh, I, I know some people in JVP who are and not against the existence of Israel at all. If you call them on it, um, they will say, uh, we, that's not our position. Our position is uh, um, to uh, li liberate the area from the ongoing occupation and, and so forth. But uh, they're aligned with a movement whose uh, trajectory and whose dynamic is, is much further than their own intentions go. So maybe they're just uh, being um, duped or just going along ideologically without understanding what they're really involved in? Uh it's not so much duped, uh, you know, that's that's a, a old language, a Cold War language. I think it, it has to do with being a part of a, a movement that they think um, they can uh, push in, in the direction that they oh, uh, believe it should go, but uh, it has a different dynamic and a, a leadership and uh, trajectory that uh, is not what their own perspective or intentions would uh, decide it to be. Um, well, that's very nicely put. You're a, you're a generous person. Um, who is who, who, who is Dr. Jasbit Puar? Um, she's a scholar, part of uh, um, this movement. She's on the, uh, I think she's a member of the U.S. Committee for Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel. So she's a, a prominent faculty member who uh, is identified with this movement and who has a kind of perspective on um, very faddish notion, biopolitics, which comes out of Foucault and uh, Agambian and um, the, the notion that uh, um, th there's a, another politics that goes, that affects the bodies uh, of its victims. And she came to Vassar uh, recently, and we, uh, we, the academic engagement uh, leaders, Mark Udoff and I, wrote about it, <clears throat> and she gave a speech um, about uh, how Israel seeks purposefully uh, to maim and stunt uh, the growth of Palestinians. And she recycled uh, w what we thought was a uh, old canard, uh, the medieval blood libel that, um, that the Jews steal children uh, for their uh, 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 blood and uh, um, for ritual purposes. So she but, updated but wait, that. She didn't, she didn't, yeah. She didn't really say that. I mean, what, what did she say? No, but, but she updated that, and she said explicitly that um, uh, uh, recirculating a, uh, a rumor in Palestinian society that, it, that Israel purposefully 
uh, steals organs for repurposing um, in, in in Israel. Um, so that was the updated version of the, of the blood libel that Israel's engaged in the purposeful um, stealing and 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 remarketing of Palestinian organs that, that their bodies are uh, to be used. Um, and uh, um, I'm actually writing about this now, pursuing where the rumor comes from. Um, and the Palestinian Authority is, is no better. It's used the same rumor on occasion. Um, but when she said it, she didn't say this, this is what they believe and evidence doesn't support it. Mm-hmm. She wasn't looking at it as a proposition to be examined and either affirmed or denied. Uh, she was basically recycling and claiming and embracing um, the rumor that Israel steals organs. Um, and uh, to our astonishment, um, not only did she say that, but uh, the people who were supporting um, the, her appearance said nothing in response. They sat on their hands. They didn't say anything um, uh, of consequence in response to this. Um, and we thought that that attested to some of the atmosphere that existed at Vassar, and we said it. Um, mm-hmm. And as a consequence, uh, um, uh, there, there was a, a response for the president to us and a response, a radio program that sounded very much like an infomercial uh, talking about how great Vassar was. Um, and, and, and there was not yet the full recognition, although I think there's evidence there's beginning to be, um, that there was a problem on campus, that somebody like this would be invited, um, that she'd be permitted to say what she said without any kind of uh, response. And again, we don't want to shut, shut this down. No, that's we what I was going to ask of, you. Yeah, we were accused of trying to shut her down, but that's not the case at all. We said we want the president and other faculty to speak out against it. Um, speech demands other speech. When it's bad speech, it demands good speech in response to it. So, um, so that, and what was what was bothering us was the absence of that kind of critical speech on okay. the campus. Well, so that brings me to the subject of uh, the idea of um, of what is the right I'm balance. I mean, I'm you know I, I'm assuming that you maybe come from roughly the same generation I do, and this is you know the '60s generation that. Uh, that, uh, you know, the free speech movement, uh, when Columbia's campus was taken over, I mean, we're talking about civil rights, we're talking about a horrible war, uh, an immoral, vicious, crazy war in Vietnam that nobody really wanted, except maybe the Dulles brothers and everybody else in uh, the weapons business and the army and the CIA, but... What is uh, and uh, during the '60s, people uh, you know broke a lot of rules, took over and interrupted faculty meetings, uh, took over administration buildings, occupied places. Cops were called, um, shut down uh, you know various laboratories that were connected with the government. That kind of thing took uh, action, which was uh, theoretically you know well actually against the law. So. Uh, this is kind of a broad question, but what is the right balance between... So I believe very strongly when something very immoral is going on, and in some ways what the state of Israel is doing to the Palestinians, uh, especially uh, you know supporting the settlers and what's going on some in some ways with, with Gaza and the inability of people to work or to receive uh, uh, money or even food sometimes, shipments... What is the right balance between people who are in passion in, in, in a righteous passion about something that's going on between free speech protest and um, the disruption of um, of uh, you know other groups uh, their right to speak or maybe even faculty and student meetings and that kind of thing? 
I have no problem with uh, protest and free speech. I think they're often the same thing. Um, so uh, the right balance is, is the maximum amount of free speech and, and, and the maximum freedom for people who believe there's a need to protest to protest. But when protest slides over into violence or disruption um, and the prevention of others from engaging in free speech, then you've got a problem. I think that was true in the late 60s, and I think it actually hurt the movement um, by uh, engaging in activities that uh, made the activities the story rather than the war in Vietnam that people were protesting. And I think the same thing is true here today, that uh, um, when uh, protest slides over into disruption, as we've been seeing on campuses, the actual shutting down of uh, people from speaking, um, Israeli visitors, uh, people who uh, uh, are coming as part of Israeli studies uh, events, um, Jewish studies events, um, th this becomes a real problem. Um, and the response uh, of the universities has been a problem also because universities have not yet bulked up on knowledge about um, rules and, and uh, uh, appropriate responses in real time to such disruptions. Uh, part of our work at the Academic Engagement Network is actually talking with administrators and uh, student affairs professionals about uh, how you uh, respond to these events, how you plan for security and safety, and how in real time you actually respond to disruptions. Um, uh, we're actually involved at the San Francisco State situation, which a couple of days ago um, the mayor of Jerusalem was prevented from speaking. So um, no uh, protest should be allowed to shut down uh, the functioning of a university. Um, university has a responsibility to people who are paying tuition, responsibility to um, people who uh, 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 are its constituencies um, to uh, continue on, right, to carry out uh, research that it's committed to, to uh, function and carry out classes. Um, so it has to set rules, neutral rules, um, that uh, hem everyone in from uh, that kind of speech that will be harmful or that will cite responses that will be destructive of order. Well, well, what, um, but so let, me, let me just interject here. So as far as the 60s go, there were places like Columbia and other universities across the country that had huge contracts and laboratories that were helping um, develop weapons or research into the way to fight the war in Vietnam. And people felt that that was so wrong that they had a right or that they, let's say, that the endowment was invested heavily in um, uh, companies that produce weapons, uh, maybe Dow Chemical, maybe General Dynamic, whatever. Uh, and I, my opinion was that, that they had a right to interfere with the university's function if this is what they were doing until they stopped doing these kinds of things. But do no, you disagree I, with that? Uh, yeah, well, they had they had a right um, in in some sense, but uh, it was counterproductive to their purposes because their disruption, uh, um, the setting off of bombs at uh, ROTCs and so forth, that became the issue rather than the the worthy ends of the anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's good for people who are protesting, and I also don't think it's good for um, the complex, diverse constituencies that operate in in these universities why should one group believe that its passions 
should govern the behavior of everybody else on the campus. Uh, uh, we, we wouldn't accept that from racists who want to push um, uh, uh, an agenda of inequality on the campus. I think we should accept it from people on the left who, uh, you know, wrap themselves in uh, rectitude and, and think that their, their view is the only view in the world. Um, we want universities to be free and ordered spaces. That's a, a phrase that comes from uh, the late A. Bartlett. Uh, Giamatti, who before he was uh, uh, commissioner of baseball, was the head of uh, president of Yale. Um, and that's a very good notion about what universities should be. They should be free spaces for people to engage in all the conversations, um, including demonstrative conversations mm-hmm. that uh, that they can uh, host. Um, but that it should be an ordered place where uh, the free speech of one group does not drown out or eliminate the free speech of another group. Okay. Uh, we mm-hmm. want universities to be uh, places of mutual conversation. And the appropriate responses to disruption um, go beyond just critical speech. They actually have to be um, to get people out of occupied buildings, arrest them and take them out, is what happened at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to involve uh, the enforcement of student conduct codes, which um, say uh, that you, you're not allowed to uh, uh, impose your will on, on the place. The place exists for more people than just you who are protesting. Um, and we think that's a good and healthy way to look at it. Now, you were speaking earlier about the reaction and uh, your group, the Academic Engagement Network, um, your uh, your response to this, uh, the reaction of a lot of, um, let's say, boards of regents or directors of uh, state university systems, uh, like the New York State Legislature, for instance, wanted to cut hundreds of millions of dollars from the budget for the New York City universities. I think Governor Cuomo uh, opposed that or it didn't go through. And the reason they wanted to cut that was because they equated uh, this BDS movement with pure anti-Semitism, and uh, they decided that they were going to cut hundreds of millions of dollars. And at the University of California, the Board of Regents um, uh, had um, a policy statement that they wanted to make, and I think they were also uh, equating um, you know, anti-Zionism, um, anti-Israeli uh, behavior with uh, anti-Semitism. Could you speak a little bit about that? We have about five minutes. Left. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I want to separate those two because I think they're two different realities, okay. um, one of which I, I, I think is good and one of which I think is just terrible. Um, the action in New York was the, is the terrible one. Um, there, um, the claim of anti-Semitism was used by... Uh, political elements, largely in the Republican Party, to do something else that had nothing at all to do with responding to circumstances um, on campuses. I think Eric Alterman's piece in the New York Times was correct, um, that the the statement about the extent of anti-Semitism on the campus at at CUNY um, was overstated for political purposes by some Jewish groups. Um, and that this was then used by uh, Republican Party officials and some local officials um, for their own political entrepreneurial purposes. Uh, it was harmful to the City University of New York. Um, it didn't go through, um, but it certainly threatened uh, 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 it continued scarcity, even worsened scarcity for a great public university. And that was something Academic Engagement Network actually got involved with. 
um, along with uh, uh, the, uh, anti the Anti-Defamation League, ADL, um, to make the case that the uh, head of Cooney was actually acting in good faith and appropriately and responsibly, um, that he was creating a commission to look into the circumstances, um, and that he should not be criticized in, in, in this fashion. But it's a good example of the way in which... Uh, um, uh, disruptive activities and demonstrative activities can actually work against um, both the institution where it occurs and the movement that, that's pushing those mm -hmm. kinds of things. The, the California case is different. Uh, I, I think the initial language of the uh, University of California Regents uh, principles against intolerance was too broad and it equated Zionism and anti-Semitism and, and as my earlier comments mentioned, I don't think they're exactly the same. But it got modified by the committee on the run-up to the regent's vote. And now it says anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic forms of anti-Zionism. So it's more, much more specific and pointed now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's up to scholars like myself and others to uh, help identify what are anti-Semitic forms of anti-Zionism and help tutor uh, administrators who are now charged with the responsibility to be on the lookout for this, um, to help them to uh, discern uh, when uh, those kinds of things exist. But the, the, the statement was closed in a broad free speech statement, saying that all kinds of speech um, are permitted on uh, a public campus. Uh, They're First Amendment places where speech is not to be shut down. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, we actually think, and we're beginning to uh, propose that the University of California standard, its principles against intolerance, is something that other universities ought to take a look at. Um, because, number one, it names anti-Semitism as a problem, along with other forms of racism and uh, sexism and so forth, as something university leaders uh, should be concerned about. And secondly, it does so in a context which emphasizes free speech, with, to which we're committed. Mm -hmm. um, and it sets in momentum uh, a kind of responsibility for university leaders to find out more about anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism um, and to be prepared to respond uh, to the things that go along with those when they're on campus. So we, we think it's, it's actually a positive development, and we're, we're going to help spread the word around on that. Okay. Uh, Ken Walzer, Executive Director of the Academic Engagement Network. And what's the website? Uh, website is not yet up, um, but uh, oh. anyone who wants to write to me can write to me at ken at academicengagement.org. Ken at academicengagement.org. Uh, I take no responsibility in what kind of emails you might receive. <laughs> all right? I mean, because it's a, yeah. it's, it's a big, wide world, and the Internet is totally out of control. So um, anyhow, thank you very much for coming on and talking about this. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me, Mike. appreciate it, too. Okay. Thanks. That's it for this week. Uh, next week, um, I'm going to try to to see if I can get somebody to talk about this um, very undemocratic process in the middle of the Democratic Party called superdelegates, uh, which is extraordinary, uh, what the history is, what they are, what could be done to get rid of them, because uh, it certainly has nothing to do with real democracy. One person, one vote. Supreme Court just approved the one person, one vote um, um, opinion, uh, and uh, this is not one person, one vote. 
for uh, people in the Democratic Party. That and maybe some other personal stuff that I wanted to talk about. So once again, you want to get in touch with me, it's FaderFiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com. Thank you. Devil 